impromptu. Where's my beautiful wife at? Hey, baby, come on up here. She has no idea I'm doing this because I didn't know I was doing this. But we celebrated our 28th anniversary a couple weeks ago. And uh, she wanted to go to In-N-Out Burger. So anyhow, but I had a question for you, babe. How did you make it? Make, make what? 28 years. Being married to you? That's a, that's a vague answer to a specific question. I don't understand Do you, the question. How did we make it 28 years? Uh, because you're amazing. Money. Where's the credit no, give card? Him some, give him the, the credit card. Oh, give him some um, advice. 28 years. Smooth sailing. So I hate easy. being put on the spot. But, okay, since I guess you just want me to all shoot straight, right, y'all? Cause Not too straight. Not too that's straight. That's the only thing I know actually how to do. Okay, 28 years. Um, first of all, the first few years I wasn't the brightest. So, there's that. Um, so, when I, I was that. real selfish, we got in some fights. That wasn't real good. Um, and then, after that, we learned how to work together as a team. So, teamwork is actually really a true statement. <laughs> so, teamwork really does make the dream work. So It does. Um, I'm, the, I'm the coach. You do what I say. The marriage is great. That's uh, how it works, right? Yeah. See what she has to, see what she has to live with. Okay. So when he does things like that, patience. I walk away. After she hits me, she usually gives me a left hook and then she walks away. I don't hit near as much as I used to, I promise. <laughs> she just hits harder, but. That's because I grew up with all brothers. I can't help it. It's, it's a true. It is true. It is true. But I'm much better than I used to be. And Lexi still has a hitting problem, but she's married to a brick. So she gets to get away with it. Look, look at her. Isn't she adorable? Look, she's so sweet back there. Now she's hugging I taught her everything she knew, but she's actually better than me. She's much sweeter. So um, I need to learn from her now. Anyway, so. Uh, <laughs> um, how to hit? Or? No, how to snuggle. Look, she's adorable. She's so cute. All right. That's awesome. Is that it? No. Oh, she wants more. Well, we got to release the kids. So. Okay. I'll do that. Um. I would say the biggest thing, honestly, is just learning to serve each other and to definitely put your spouse ahead of yourself, even when you don't want to, even when it hurts, and sometimes it does hurt, dang it, that's the hardest part, but it always pays off later, so just love each other when you don't want to. Love you, baby. Impromptu. <laughs> yeah, there's times it's like, I love you, but I don't like you right now. Um, but uh, it's been a journey, definitely. She's an amazing woman. And, uh, and I would say she was cute in college, and she's beautiful now. Amen. Yep. And uh, I love her. And uh, she's fun. She's spicy. And she doesn't put up with my stuff. Um, and she, does, uh, she doesn't look for a fight, but she's not afraid to back down from one when I'm being stupid. Y'all know that. Y'all know us. And, uh, and then we teach the marriage class, which I think we're very qualified for. <laughs> because so many times right before the marriage class starts, we get into something. And so, like, people are showing up, and we're like, we're in the middle of a fight. We're going to finish this after marriage class and all that. But anyway, hey, kids, you guys could go ahead and be dismissed. First is sixth grade.
I just thought it would be fun to have her come up and, and just talk about marriage stuff and, and how to make it. But selfless is the thing. One thing that, one of the many things that Chris has always been is, is a giver. You know, if she had to break a candy bar in half, she would always give somebody else the bigger part. Um, and that's just her character. And I appreciate that so much about her. And she's very patient. So, but hey, I wanted to say thank you so much for being here. Um, if you're brand new, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we're on a good journey. We're on a weird journey as a country and all the things that are going on. Um, but my faith level, I think, is higher than it's ever been. That, that God's got this whole thing in control. Um, that it seems like it's a mess, but it's actually going to end up being a miracle. And I think, we're, I think we're in the end times. I really think that we're seeing things happen in our world that a lot of the Old Testament prophets like we're looking forward to um, and, and I think we're going to see some things happen again in the next several months that uh, it's just going to be the hand of God and as Christians we don't have to live in fear okay? we need to live in faith, not in fear but I want to talk to you today out of the book of Daniel, chapter 5. Uh, we've been going through several stories in Daniel, and I want to talk to you about uh, the, da- the danger of diversion. And we're going to talk, what is a diversion? A diversion is, to, is what a magician does very well. They get you to, to look somewhere else while they're doing something here. And this happens in a bad way with a king named Belshazzar. And uh, so uh, I just want to talk to you about the story. We're going to do some history today. It's kind of fun. Here's what I struggle with. I, I, distru- I struggle with not harping on things that are going on in the world too much, but then not ignoring it either. I think there's got to be a balance um, because we can, we can see things as political. Some things aren't political, they're just biblical. It's like they're going on, we can't ignore it. There's things going on in our world that we need to pay attention to as Christian. Um, so let me read to you my, my opening statement. And then we'll get into the lesson. This is this. I'm concerned as to where we are headed as a country. Uh, The thing that made us great is what we seem to be abandoning as a whole. And that is God's word. Now God's word is 100% true. If I didn't believe that, I would not be a very good pastor. Right? I wouldn't be a very good Christian. Uh, I would talk to anybody. I would talk to a Muslim and say, do you believe the Quran? Well, about 90%. And mine would be like, well, you're not that great of a Muslim then if you don't believe the Quran 100%. We have to believe this is 100% the word of God. Um, if you don't today, that's okay. That's, that's your right. But to me personally, it is 100% the word of God. Everything's going to play out the way God's word uh, says. So what I say is based on the fact Okay, that this is God's word to us. Okay, it's, it's going to go down the way God says it's going to go down. Um, I wrote here, don't blame the repeating tower for what is being broadcast. I, I am a repeating tower. Okay? God's word is broadcasting something. I'm just the one that gets to repeat it. And if I'm wrong, that's on me. And that's why I encourage people to bring your Bibles, okay? Because I could tell you some stuff and you may not know whether or not the Bible says it or not. So just because a preacher says it doesn't mean the word says it. I want to be biblically accurate um, all the time. And so we're going to talk about the danger of diversion. What I, I love my two, these are my two favorite things uh, to show you. It's the what, the what, and the how. What's my life look like right now? How did I get there? What, does I, do, what do I want my life to look like? How am I going to get there? I used to stumble over that. I used to say, what do I want my wife to look like? How is she going to get there? It's a wallet, right? And some nice clothes or whatever. So what and how? What, what are we at as a country? Where, you know, what, is, what has our country become? How have we gotten there? And that's what we're going to deal with today. The what and the how. Years ago, I was counseling a, a couple. They don't go to church here. You do not know them, so don't get, don't get squiggly. This is not you. Uh, there was an affair. He had cheated on her. And so they met with me. And, um, and his, his whole thing was this, as she's there in tears, 
She just needs, because he knows what the Bible says, she just needs to forgive me and move on. And I looked at her and said, yeah, you just need to forgive him and move on because that's what Jesus would want you to do. And she said, okay, that's what I'll do. Do you think that's how it went? No. No, he was so adamant that she needed to forgive and move on, forget it all happened. And I'm like, dude, you broke her heart and you're telling her that she just needs to get over it and move on? And that was his mentality. I'm like, no, you, you kind of did something bad here, right? You, you can work it out, but you have to be willing to, to win her heart back, okay? Not tell her to get over it. That's like a religious, terrible thing to do. And I probably don't even need to tell you they're no longer married, all right? But the mentality that he had was, well, she just needs to forgive me and move on. And that's not how it works, okay? Now, God will forgive us and move on. But, but in this situation, all right, his, his mind was so disillusioned as to what she needed to do over his offense that he was not caring about her heart. We need to learn as Christians to be better at caring about people's hearts, okay? To love people, to try to get to, you know, to, to understand what they're thinking. So here's what the problem is. The problem with erasing history is that you're likely to repeat it. And we're going to look at this in Belshazzar's life today. When we erase history, we're likely to do the same things. Did you know that, that the Jews will not, the Auschwitz, they didn't want it torn down. They wanted it there. And there was a reason. They, they were like, we don't want people to forget what happened. Okay? It wasn't there glorifying anything. It was like, we don't want this to be repeated. So they kept Auschwitz as a, a kind of a legacy of this is what took place um, within our people. So there's this balance as a Christian regarding your past. Some people live there so they don't make any progress in their Christianity. Others forget it to a point that they aren't thankful for forgiveness and they repeat the sin over and over again. And there's got to be a balance. So as we're studying some events in Daniel, we've talked about the fiery furnace where the three Hebrew boys uh, were told, you know, you got to bow down to the idol. They, they obeyed the rules up until that point. And then the government's like, no, you got to bow down to, to the idol. They're like, we can't do that. That crosses our line, our line. We, we followed the rules. But as soon as you tell me I can't do what God has asked me to do, we're not going to do it. They get thrown into the fiery furnace. They're not burned up. Nebuchadnezzar sees the you know, son of him. He's probably Jesus in there, brings him out. Everything's great. And then we went to Daniel, who Daniel was following the law. And then they said, well, you can't pray to anybody but the king. And Daniel says, I can't do that. I'm not going to change my walk with God. And he prayed. And what happened? Got thrown into the, the lion's den. Lions didn't eat him. Why? Because it wasn't his time yet. The people that falsely accused him got thrown in. All kinds of crazy things like that. God will always save you out of the things he needs to save you from. So you don't have to be afraid. You stand up for what you believe in and you let God take care of the rest. Let me tell you something. They got into a predicament. I love that word, predicament. He say, it just, it just sounds good, predicament. I'm in a predicament. Some of y'all are in a predicament right now because you got in a fight on the way to church and you're wait, waiting to finish it on the way home. <laughs> let me tell you something, don't, Okay. Take separate cars if you need to, all right? But we get ourselves into these predicaments. And I like the word, the predicament. They stood up for their faith, which isn't popular when it goes against culture. And I think we're seeing that, at least in America, okay? The Christianity is kind of going against culture. It's going against what, what the tide is coming in. Because the world is telling you to be okay with things that God's word is not okay with. And as a Christian, you don't have to be. You can be honorable and respectful and still say, I don't believe that. I don't believe the way that, that you're teaching me to live because God's word says that sexual, sexual immorality is still sexual immorality. Stealing is still stealing. Okay? Lying is still lying. Drunkenness is still drunkenness. God's word has not changed to fit our culture. 
our culture is trying to get away from God's word. And as a Christian, we have to live here, but we don't have to live here for very long. And that's why we can smile. You'd be like, you're going down that path. I'm not going down that path. Matter of fact, if you're going to follow the crowd, you need to know where the crowd's going. Because the crowd isn't always right. Okay? Look to God's word, look to the map, not what the crowd says. So what we're doing as Christians isn't popular when it goes against our current culture. So I want to read chapter 5, uh, verses 30 and 31. I'm going to start at the end uh, because we've already read this story um, through this whole thing about Belshazzar. And it says this um, in chapter 5, verse 30 and 31, and then we're going to go backwards. It says, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. And, and something caught me. I've read this story so many times in my life, and finally, this, this week I read it, and it was like, hey, age of 62, isn't that when you're supposed to be retiring? I'm like, I mean, dude, you're 62, you're supposed to be collecting Social Security, and you're out conquering kingdoms. So why retire when you can re-enlist? John Maxwell says, right? That God is not done with you just because you're a certain age. Right. Now, you might retire, but then God still has a plan for you. He has a plan for you until the moment you, you, you breathe your last. So don't ever think that God's done with you. God has a plan for your life as long as you're alive. The very night Belshazzar was slain. You ever seen a TV show where, again, it starts with the predicament? The guy's hanging off a cliff, and you're like, whoa. And then it says six hours earlier. Okay, it's the what, and then the six hours is the how. Like, how they, or they're locked in a trunk, you know, and, and you're like, whoa, how'd that happen? And then it backs up. Well, that's what we're doing today. So when you find yourself in a predicament, it's always important to evaluate how you got there. You're in a predicament? You're in a fight? You're in a marriage tiff? Because my wife and I, we don't fight, we tiff. We have tiffs. We have little tiffs and the rifts sometimes, but we actually don't fight. I might be in denial, but that's how I look at it. I'm delusional, all right? Uh, we don't have fights like some people I've seen fight because we don't yell and scream at each other. Usually we're more like silent nuclear submarines. You're in there, you're just quiet, and you're like the fingers on the button. You ever have those moments? You're like, she's really quiet right now, and that's bad because the finger's on the nuke button. <laughs> like, I better just leave. Uh, but that's for a later message, all right? More importantly, it's important to know that many predicaments are avoidable with good decision making. Think about the problems that maybe you've had and, and you, you can trace it back to a decision. First service, we talked about divorce. That some of you, you married somebody that you're looking back now going, wow, I just didn't see what was coming and, and I got into a predicament because of a choice that I made. And maybe somebody said, don't do it. And you're like, I'm going to do it anyway because we're humans and we just kind of do what we want. And now that you look back, there was all these warning signs. It was like you went to the car lot to buy a car and the check engine light is flashing at you, but the body was in such good shape. You're like, I don't care that the check engine light's on, man. I'm going to buy this thing because it looks good. It doesn't matter how good your car looks if the check engine light is, is flashing and the engine's blown. So all too often we base marriage on what looks are instead of what's in the heart. And so we, we have to ask ourselves this question, where does this path lead where does this path lead? I think we can ask this question with a lot of different things that we face in life. Where does this path lead? Teenagers, you're hanging out with people doing stupid stuff. Where's that path lead? Where, where are those teens, where are your friends headed? Is it a good thing? Are they doing illegal things? Are they doing things they shouldn't be doing? Is, is it a good path? Because where the path goes is really important. And don't think that you can just get away with it. Where does this path lead? As you're, the longer you're married, you learn to ask this question. I really want to make this comment right now, but where's the path lead? 
Matter of fact, my wife, she bought a, a couch, a really nice couch. It's like a two-piece couch, you know. She just wanted to buy this couch. And it's heavy and it's big and, and she wants it in the bedroom. And I just had an epiphany. Why is there a couch in my bedroom? Because if we get into a tiff, that's where you're sleeping, boy. Right? So if I come into the house, into the bedroom with my pillow and there's a blanket on the couch, I might not even get a blanket. I'm going to be like, what's up? Did I do something wrong? I don't think that's what's going to happen because it's a cute couch. Did I just share too much? Because you're all looking at me like, what just happened? Uh, we're doing fine, by the way. Um, but it looks really good because she's super creative and, and she makes everything look good. But where does the path lead? Okay? I, I've, I've tried not to watch too much news and it's great to be on a boat for seven days in a canyon. Um, in my Facebook post, I didn't post a lot about it because I didn't have any cell service. But when we got back, but seven days without news and without internet was wonderful. I mean, it was awesome. It was like no bad news, nothing happened. I got back to the boat dock and I went, why well, the guy got a mask on? Is he going to rob me? And they're like, oh wait, COVID, that's right. Um, and I, I, we just forgot about it, but it was wonderful to not have to hear negative stuff for seven whole days. Okay? But what I saw come from New York City, okay, and here were some big signs that, that was on MSN, so I'm not, I didn't search anything, it was on MSN. There were some signs that went from defund the police, and now it was abolish the police, and the guy next to it was like abolish prison. And I was like, politics aside, that's not a good idea. Like, when you abolish authority and you abolish prison, what do you have? Somalia, right? I mean, you have where the warlords begin to control everything. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, I understand where these, what these people are doing, but I don't understand the logic of it. I don't understand the logic of saying we shouldn't have any law enforcement, everybody should just do what's right. Um, we can't just abolish laws. I mean, what if I said we should abolish stoplights? I'll just buy a bigger truck. Get out of my way, right? It just doesn't work. We have to have law and order in our world. Well, let me tell you something. In our life, guys, if you abolish your conscience, which is like the police of your spirituality, if we abolish, we'll call it a prison, meaning consequences, if you abolish that in your own life, your life will end up a mess. We have to hold ourselves account. We have to police ourselves to say, okay, this is what I want to do, but I shouldn't because there's a consequence for everything that I do. Right? I mean, that's just logical. We're all on the same page there. Belshazzar is about to make a really bad decision because he has made a lifetime of bad decisions, and bad decisions eventually will catch up with you. Okay? Unfortunately, sometimes it's too late for course correction. Now, we are in course correction. As a country, we're in course correction. Let me, let me tell you something here. I know a lot of police officers, they want the bad ones fired too. <laughs> I know a lot of police, they, they don't like the bad ones. Why? Because the bad ones make them look bad. All right? So that's, that we could be on the same page. I don't want pastors who are ripping off people and lying to be in the pulpit. Okay? So the good ones don't want the bad ones in a power of position. I think that's something we can all agree with. Unfortunately, in this time, you didn't really have a choice as to who was king. Belshazzar was the king, and, and he gets confronted by Daniel. What Belshazzar did not know was that the enemy was already inside the city. So I'm going to tell you some history, because I love history, of, of how it came to the point to where that night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. Okay? How did he get slain? How did the enemy get into the city? Well, there's a, a historian that we're going to talk about 
um, in just a moment on how that happened because the how is really important. So some facts on Babylon. Babylon, ancient Babylon, was 53 miles from current-day Baghdad. Okay? Uh, Saddam Hussein was actually trying to rebuild it. It was a walled city of about 2,200 acres. Um, the Euphrates River ran around it. Okay, there was iron gates. I'm sorry, I, I said that wrong. The Euphrates River ran through it. So it ran through the middle of the city. Had iron gates on each side so that nobody could get on a raft and, you know, float into the city. They had steel gates um, that closed that off. And then along the river, they also had walls that if you breached under the city gates, the steel, there was walls that you had to get through to get into the city. So they had this thing very fortified. And uh, had about 20 years worth of supplies to live in. They had their own agriculture in there. So it was like a self-contained fortress. I mean, just impenetrable, uh, so to speak. And so what I want to tell you is it's important to be smart enough to look ahead and know where the path you are leads on because Belshazzar is about to lose his kingdom because he wasn't paying attention. So let's read chapter 4, verse 37, uh, 5 through 4. And here's what happened. We'll start out with this. Nebuchadnezzar, as his final words, um, it was uh, Belshazzar's grandfather. And so I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of history. But here's his, the last words of Belshazzar that we have recorded. He says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the God of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. You're thinking, well, that's a pretty good guy. But what you didn't know is what happened before this. Nebuchadnezzar was the greatest king probably of all time. Huge kingdom. I mean, he, he, just, he killed anybody that got in his way. Well, he had this prideful moment uh, that happens earlier in the chapter. You need to go back and read it. And, and he looks out over his kingdom and he says, look what I built. And it says immediately, God basically made him insane. And for seven years... He became like a wild animal. The Bible says that he grew hair like the feathers of an eagle. Can you imagine this? Okay, feather. If you're married to somebody who's hairy, not near what Nebuchadnezzar was. Uh, and his, his t- toenails and fingernails grew like talons. I mean, he had just nasty, long things. And he ate grass like a cow. Great king, moments later, he's out chomping on alfalfa. <laughs> and, and Belshazzar is about 12 to 16 years old. He's looking at grandpa going, bro, what happened to grandpa? Grandpa's out there naked, looks like an eagle on all fours, eating grass with the cattle. Seven years of insanity, seven years. And it says at the end of seven years, he looked up to heaven and he recognized who God was and how small he was. He switched spots. He no longer was God. He, he now was the servant. And this is the end of what he said. Praise be to God. Why? Because I got humbled. And fortunately, Nebuchadnezzar listened to the warning. He humbled himself. And, he, and at the end, he served God. Well, he dies 23 years later is when the story takes up chapter 5, verse 1. Now King Belshazzar, again, who is grandson, uh, gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. Belshazzar's dad was um, Nabonidus, who was known to be an archaeologist. So he was in Babylon for a while. They were kind of co-kings. Nabonidus wanted to go exploring. So he's like, okay, son, you take the kingdom, you know, kind of do whatever you want. It's like giving your teenage boy the keys to the Corvette and going out of town for a month. He's going to drive it fast, okay? He's, not, he's probably not going to take care of it like he should. So that's what's happening. So King Belshazzar, he's like having this party, great banquet, thousands of his nobles there, and they drink wine with him. While Belshazzar was drinking wine, 
He gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives, his concubines, might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, his concubines, drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and of silver, of bronze and iron, and wood and stone." Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and he wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched this. The Bible, king James says that he basically wet his pants. He was so scared. And we talked about this several weeks back in this whole story where the, the writing on it was many, many tuckle parson. Basically, you're in trouble, Belshazzar. You've pushed the limit. You've gone too far. And now God is going to judge you. Okay, so flip over if you have your Bibles with you, which you should because you need to know if I'm lying to you or not. I always check what I say, church. Amen? If electricity goes out, I'm good. Are you? Let's move on. Um, all right. Look at it on your phone. That's great, but I like, I like the hard copy. And uh, so Nebuchadnezzar, again, dead for 23 years. There's been about four kings in between. Belshazzar's he's partying. He's in power. And it's going to cost him his life. It's going to cost him something. And so he goes into this, this tailspin of, okay, what's going on? He calls in his people. They can't figure out what the word is. The queen mother comes in. Here's the commotion. And she said, there's a man in this kingdom that can tell you. Okay, he's about 90 years old at this point. So they call Daniel. And Daniel comes in and he gives them this whole history. He says, Belshazzar, you know the history of your grandpa. Basically, you saw what happened to your grandpa, Nebuchadnezzar. He was great, great in his own eyes. God humbled him. You saw it. You saw all of this. And he humbled himself, but Belshazzar, you haven't. And he calls him on it. So it starts off in verse 22, okay, after he goes through the history of what had happened to his, his grandfather. But you, his son, or his grandson, Belshazzar, you have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. You knew the history. Instead, you have set up yourself against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets of his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, your concubines, drank from them. You praised the gods of silver and of gold, of bronze and of iron, of wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote this inscription. And again, many, many took a parson, which means this in verse 26. Many means God has numbered your days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck. And he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 60. Well, the enemy was already in the city. And I want to tell you how they got there. So here's just some history um, that I researched I want to tell you. So this is from a Greek historian, Herodotus, about Babylon. Okay, it was a walled city. The walls were about 320 feet high. If you look up, our building is about 34 feet high to the lights. Okay, picture 300 feet taller. Uh, 80 feet thick, this building is 70 feet thick. Okay, so another 10 feet. Okay, walls all the way around. That's huge. Um, 56 miles long, if you were to have a chariot race on the top or you wanted to go jogging in the morning, that would not be jogging. That would be a brutal marathon plus some. Okay? I have no interest in running a marathon. I will follow you on my motorcycle if you so choose. Um, and I will give you water. All right? 
population, they guess between 1.5 and 2 million people. Okay, again, I'm going to repeat some of the information we talked about already. The Euphrates River ran through it with iron gates at the entrance and the exit and a wall on both sides of the river um, in case the gates were breached and those walls had gates in them. They had 20 years of food supplies along with agriculture within the city. Uh, Belshazzar is thought to be about 40 years old at this point. Um, again, his, his dad, Nabonidus, Nebuchadnezzar's son, was the king, but he was off somewhere else doing archaeological things. Um, and he left Belshazzar in charge. Again, Belshazzar would have known the history of his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the most powerful king in history, and how his pride led to his downfall. Um, again, he was thought to be 12 to 16 years old when Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind for seven years. And now Nebuchadnezzar, I'm sorry, now Belshazzar is goofing off. You see, he feels safe in these walls. For 20 years, Darius the Mede and the Persians have been conquering the kingdom around Babylon. For seven years, Darius the Mede and his army have been camped around Babylon trying to figure out how to get in. And when there's a seven-year period that goes by and, you, and your enemy can't attack you, you begin to let your guard down. You begin to feel pretty safe. Every morning you get up and they're looking up trying to figure out how to get in and they can't. Seven years go by and you're like, hey, that's cool. The devil will wait years to get you. One of the devil's tactics is patience. One of the devil's tactics is to leave you alone. You ever have those temptations that sometimes are strong and then like for two months, nothing, and then all of a sudden it hits you out of nowhere? Give me an amen because I'm not the only one that's tempted in this church. If so, you should be preaching. Um, I know how the devil works. He's very patient. He waits. He lets you get away with it at times. It's just like a mouse in a trap. The mouse can get away with it. He's like, no problem. Well, eventually the mouse will get caught. And so Belshazzar's partying. He thinks everything's fine. He's got this false sense of security. He's goofing off. And I wrote here, how many heathen men with unlimited access to alcohol and pretty women and safe walls would have a hard time staying focused on the threat outside and the consequences? (laughs) Everything's great, all right? They haven't got in. They're not going to get in. Everything's fine. Well, that's about to change. 20-year military campaign to conquer the land, and Babylon was the only thing left standing Again, Darius, seven years outside trying to figure out how to get in. And then one day, some defectors left the city. And the defectors told Darius how an ancient queen had got into, or what she did with the the city. Sorry, I saw my grandpapi. Hi, girl. I love you. It's the first time I've seen her today. That's my granddaughter. They just do weird things to you. Anybody have grandkids? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they do weird things. Sometimes they drive you nuts, right? But mine doesn't. She's, she's awesome. So I, just, I love her. Um, so if you're online and you saw me, it wasn't fatigue. It was just my grandbaby. All right, now where I was at. Defectors told him of a queen who in the past had diverted the river upstream uh, to probably do some work on the city. And so miles upstream, there was an old lake bed and a a swamp after that, that this queen had diverted the the Euphrates River, dropped the level of the water to do what they needed to do, then dammed it up and the river flowed again. Well, that gave Darius an idea. So what he did is he broke up his military into three, three different divisions. He put a division where the exit was, where the river came out of the city, where the bars were. He put one at the front, okay, where it entered, and he sent the division up to start digging. Well, that night that Daniel was talking to Belshazzar was the time when the water level got down low enough that the army could actually go under the metal gates. They were already in the city when Daniel was talking to Belshazzar. Belshazzar was partying, he was drinking, he was having a good time, and the enemy was already there. 
Somebody didn't lock the gates that went along the river. Why? Because they had a false sense of security. Well, they didn't break in yesterday, so they're not going to break in today. And, and, and the interesting thing is, I think it's Isaiah or Jeremiah, I didn't write it down. 150 years prior to this, there was a prophecy that the water level would go down and that Cyrus would come in and take over Babylon. What had been prophesied 150 years prior happened that night. Now, what happened here? What, again, the what? He got slain, but how? How they weren't paying attention. How they didn't look at the water levels. The how they were like, you know, we're fine. Everything's cool. Everything is as it has been. We can see the enemy. Yeah, there's a garrison there or a, a group there. There's a group there. But they didn't take a head count to go, okay, where's the other group? Satan will always attack you where you're not expecting it. He doesn't come up to the front and punch you in the nose. He gets you from behind. He gets you from the side. He gets you when you're not looking. The devil is smart. You see, an enemy that's not paying attention is the easiest one to defeat. And so my challenge for us today as Christians is to pay attention to what's going on in the world. We not, may not be able to change what's happening, and we may not be able to change the course of America. I pray that we can. But as Christians, we need to be aware of it. We don't need to be afraid, but we need to be aware. So that our own hearts won't get taken away. So our own hearts will stay right with the Lord. See, the enemy within is the most dangerous enemy. Rome fell from within. Why? Because they became immoral over a time. Now, historically, democracies have a lifespan of about 200 years throughout history. 200 years is about the... Okay, we're at 244, so we've gone beyond the average. But guys, we're going to lose it if we don't pray. We're going to lose it if we don't stand up as Christians and say, hey, what's going on right now we're not okay with? Now, can we change it? I don't know. But I would like to think that our prayer could at least prolong God's judgment on us. Amen? Because things are going on in our world and we can bury our head in the sand and pretend like it's not. Or we can go, you know what? I'm going to live life. I'm going to be joyful and happy, but I'm going to be aware of what's happening. Right now, I believe that the water level is dropping in our country. And we have, to, we have to go, okay, I need to pay attention to this. Okay, We have to know why. Why is this happening? So here's what Belshazzar did, unfortunately. He was more concerned with having fun than running a kingdom. You see, you can have fun and still keep an eye out open for danger. The sad thing is that this, his bad decision not only affected him, but it affected all the people that were in the banquet. His leaders and nobles, a thousand of them, they all got slaughtered. I mean, the, the history tells what happened. They went in and they had like, their special forces um, and who they killed first. I mean, it's, it's pretty detailed. Um, it, his, his decision affected everybody else. So your decisions don't just affect you. Your decisions don't just affect you. They can affect other people. And your good decisions can affect others in a positive way. That's why you were called to be a light in this world. You are not called to be the doom and gloom person, okay, that you might want to be. You are called to be a light in the darkness. And that's what you are. You're a Christian. You're a light. Begin to spread positive things and say, you know what? Yeah, the world's kind of crazy, but it's setting it up for God to do a miracle. Remember the mess and the miracle? I preached that message. You can have a mess, but that gives you a candidate for a miracle. That God is doing something that we didn't even know about, and we can be joyful in what's happening. Personally, I can be a little tense at times, a little intense, but you have to know where my heart is. Okay? It's like the Titanic. The Titanic did not heed the warnings of icebergs in the area. Matter of fact, when the Titanic left on its maiden voyage, somebody said, even God can't sink the Titanic. I'd have been like, can I get off the boat now? Because that's not a good thing, okay? When you're saying God can't sink the Titanic. Isn't that ironic that the Titanic sank on that voyage? That they said even God can't sink the Titanic. But what did they do? They, they didn't heed the warnings that there was icebergs. It was like, full steam ahead, we're going. And what happened? It ended up 
creating a huge disaster. Sometimes I may say things that sound harsh, but you've got to remember that what God has called me to do specifically is that, is that to be a word of warning, to lead our church family, to say, guys, there's things going on in the world that I'm not comfortable with. I don't like it. I want everybody to love each other and be peace, but we're seeing things happening in our country, in our world, that I believe are leading to the end times. That should cause us to, to watch, to pray, to be ready. So if your heart today is just kind of like halfway, like, yeah, I'm going to serve God, kind of. I would say you need to up it a little bit and be a little more intense and intentional about serving Jesus. If you're not right with God, you need to get right with God today. Okay, You need to get right with God. Every day is a good day to be right with God. So I wrote here, we may not be able to control where this country is heading, but I can control myself. Okay? To, to look at the direction I may be going in and say, you know what, I'm not going in that direction. I'm going to stick to the word of God. I'm going to call sin for what it is. I'm going to do the best I can to live, to love people. When I sin, I'm going to repent. But I believe that God's word is coming to pass before our very eyes. And I don't want to be like Belshazzar, who's just partying and acting like nothing's happening, when, when the water level is going down. Amen? The water level does not have to go down in your life. So, as a nation, okay, we're becoming okay with a lot of things that God's not okay with. And one thing that we have to do, again, is remember that the diversion was upstream and out of sight. Okay, the digging happened where they couldn't see the digging, but the results were happening where they could. If they'd have been paying attention, they would have noticed. Somebody should have had the job of checking water levels. Maybe they had water marks on the, on the walls where it came through. And some guys should have been watching that. Going, okay, it was a foot lower than it was five hours ago. What's happening? Okay, and then it went down a little bit more. And he could have went and said, hey, something's going on with the river upstream. But again, they were partying. They were having a good time, not paying any attention to the destruction that was about to happen. So my challenge to you today is to guard your heart, to be careful with what you're okay with. Silence can often be taken as consent. Okay, what made America great? was that we based our behaviors on God's word, and I believe that we're getting away from that. Okay, again, as a Christian, I believe this is 100% God's word. And if a country will follow God's word, blessings happen, as we have seen over the last couple hundred years. But as we get away from this, as we begin to say, well, God doesn't really mean that, that's, that's, the, that's the water level, because okay, the enemy will get in. Okay, we have to believe that God's word is 100% correct. Okay? Today, we seem to live in a don't-tell-me-what-I-can't-do attitude. You can't tell me what I can do. Oh, yes, I can. Okay? I, I, for authority, we've taught this generation you can disrespect authority and get away with it. Okay? We've taught that kids can smart back to their teachers and get away with it. You know when I was a kid? <laughs> there was a paddle in the principal's office. In my school. And that paddle was used. Okay? Typically only one time because they would paddle you, then they would send you back to class. They didn't care about your alligator tears, church. They're like, boom, boom, now you go walk back to class, boy. But they might see me. That's the point. <laughs> they see you crying and rubbing your hind end. They may not be smart enough to the teacher either. Right? Nowadays, the, the students can seem to say what they want, and the teachers have no repercussions. I think that's completely wrong. I think it's anti-biblical. Right? We should be able to have that authority and to be able to discipline those who are disobeying it. That, that's what makes a society work. But we've taught people that you can disrespect authority. Uh, matter of fact, I was bothered by the things that happened in Chicago recently where I saw the video where people were breaking windows of stores with police officers standing there and the people were just stealing stuff in front of the cops. Why? Because the cops can't do anything. It's like you, you, know, you can't do anything against that. That's a dangerous society. When you're that bold to do stuff in front of a cop and the cop's too afraid to do anything because of what might come back on them, that's messed up. Because if it was your business, you might think a little different. 
right? That, so we're taking authority away from people that God put in authority, and a country cannot run well on that. See, pride will always come back and bite you. Let me tell you this. The only thing that will make America great again is repentance, not a political party. No political party is going to make, make, make America great. Repentance and following God's word is the only thing that's going to make America great again. Okay, that's just the, that's the truth. If it's not a political party, I get sick of politics. All right. What I hope, because I ask myself the question here, are we at the point of Belshazzar? Are we at the point where we've just gone too far, where God says, you know what, this is the judgment that's coming. This is, this is what I'm going to do because I've given you a chance to repent. I've given you a chance to, to get right. And you keep thumbing your nose at me. You keep drinking out of those goblets saying, ah, who's God? Who's God? Wine and gold and all this stuff is God. I hope we're not there. Now, in the end times, and I've taught this recently, that we're not mentioned in the Bible. America is not in the Bible. We don't see America. Okay, there are, Some people will try to find this one little thing and think maybe it's America. But we're not specifically mentioned. We think we're so important. We're like, hey, we're 244 years old, man. We bad. We bad. Look at us. Well, we kind of are bad, right? But in the end times, we're not mentioned. Why? That's the question. <laughs> Why are we not in the end times? You know that, that everything evolves around Israel, not us? Okay? And as long as we support Israel, I think we're all right. But we are gone. So one of two things happens. Either the, the rapture takes place, okay, which removes hundreds of thousands of people from American military and whatever. That's going to chaos. Or we, we become so morally corrupt that it just takes us out. We become not, not a superpower anymore. I don't know. Okay, I'm kind of leaning toward rapture because that's how I want to go. I like easy, baby. I don't want to go through this stuff. I'm like, Jesus, can you just take us out and then, you know, however they want to live. But the rapture, what happens when Jesus just takes us out of here? And, uh, and we've got to pay attention to that. Pay attention to world events. And at all times, okay, here's what I want to end with. Uh, Pastor John, if you could come on back. Uh, you guys got a shorter message in first service. Is that cool? Amen. Okay, maybe you listened better. Maybe they needed it more. Who knows? Um, the most important thing you can do is to keep your heart right with Jesus. Amen. That's the most important thing. Okay? It's, it's not, it, it's, there's really nothing more important than that, that you just keep your heart right with Jesus. There's certain things that you and I are like, if you watch too much news, you get spun up about stuff you can't change. Okay? I believe that you call stuff for what it is, but we see our world going in a direction, and if they don't want God, God is going to give them what they want. And that's a country without God, and that's a dangerous country. And here's what I believe. I believe that we're going to be raptured before it gets really bad. That's my personal belief. Um, because I've, I've read the Bible many, many times, and I see that God has always saved his people okay, from, from destruction. We're going to see some stuff, but not the bad stuff. The Bible says that God has not appointed us to wrath, which mean, means God's going to remove us before it gets really bad. But Jesus did say, hey, these are the signs that my return is near. You're going to see an increase in earthquakes. You're going to see diseases. You're going to see tsunamis. You're going to see a lot of things that we're seeing going on in the world right now, and they're going to increase. And if you look at the U.S. Geological Survey, the last hundred years they track all this stuff, you can look at tsunamis, earthquakes, I mean, all this stuff, and you'd be like, whoa, it's spiked up tremendously. Again, is this God's word or not? 100%. 100%. Jesus said, you, these are the beginnings of birth pains. When this happens, look up, because my return draws near. And I'm like, okay, Jesus, I'm looking up. I'm not going to look to CNN. I'm not going to look to Fox News. I'm going to look to the Word of God. Okay, because this will always tell you the truth. This puts no spin on anything. Okay? This puts no spin on it. You ever, you ever see these polls? I, saw, I, I just laugh when I see these polls. New poll. 
Okay, so-and-so leads by 58%. New poll. Okay, poll. Da-da-da-da-da. And I'm like, where was the poll taken? Like, if you go to Dodger Stadium and say, okay, 98% of Americans like the Dodgers. That's right. She thinks it's true, all right? Okay, where was the poll taken? Dodger Stadium. How many people did you poll? Like 200 with Dodger shirts on. Okay, you can make the poll say whatever you want, depending on where you take the poll. So when you guys see polls on the news, poll says so-and-so leads by this. Or, you have to go, okay, where's the poll and how many did they poll? So don't even believe the polls, okay? Believe the Word of God. Believe the Word of God. I'm going to stand right here. I'm going to stand on God's Word, and I'm going to believe it. And if I go down, I'm going to go down holding this up. Okay, this is what I'm going to choose. Amen. Guys, we are not meant to live on this earth. We're out of here. We're almost home. We're almost home. And the only way you can be safe at home is by having a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the only way. So where are you at today? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads just for a moment. I'm not here to beg you or persuade you. I'm here to tell you that if you want to go to heaven, the only way is by accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That is the only way. There is no other way by men will be saved except through Jesus and what he did on the cross for us. And it's a free gift. And you might be thinking today, how could God forgive me? I've done so much. Well, that's what makes him God. That's what makes him God. He forgives. He offers grace to those who we don't think we deserve it. And if it could be deserved, it wouldn't be grace. But he is here to forgive us. He's here to set us free from our past, from our sin. Have you made the decision to follow him? If you have not and would like to, I'm not going to point you out or embarrass you. Everybody's heads are bowed. It's just me and you and Jesus right now. But if that's you, if you could just lift your hand up where I can see it. If you need to give your life to Jesus today to secure your place in heaven, I said heaven and hell are real places. You, you choose where you go. You choose eternity. You have to choose Christ to spend eternity in heaven. You have to. Is there anybody that needs to make that decision today? All right, I don't see any hands. If you're online and you need to make that decision, it's an easy prayer. It's, Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner. And I ask that you would forgive me my sins. Come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. That is the only way to heaven. And as soon as you pray that prayer, Jesus will forgive you of your entire past. And that's your ticket to heaven right there. And that's a beautiful thing. Amen. The salvation could come that quick. You can look up now. That salvation can come that fast in a moment. Amen. That's faster than you can buy a gun in Idaho. Salvation. There's no background check when you ask for forgiveness. Okay, you don't put in an application for salvation and God says, I'll get back with you in three days after I look at your history. (laughs) You know what God says? He says, I look at your history and you need forgiveness, buddy. I'll forgive you right now. I'll forgive you right now. Isn't that great? Salvation is like the easiest thing ever to acquire. And it's free. Amen. I'm glad it can't be earned because I'm not good enough. If it was earned, I'd be like, I'm in trouble. All right. It's a free gift. Amen. Well, I hope this left you encouraged. Again, I still got two minutes before quitting time. But it's been two weeks since I preached, so I'm like, oh, kinds of stuff to say. Um, but I'll have more to say Wednesday night where we are going through the book of Titus, and uh, we'll be finishing that up. Um, the last chapter, chapter three, we'll be going through it. We do verse by verse on Wednesday. So um, if you want to show up here, it's a great time. We have something for all ages, but it's been a really fun study. Um, this week, because I didn't get to it last week, it was how to deal with divisive people. Do you know the Bible actually gives you permission to, to 
to push people like, I, I don't have to spend time with you anymore. That's how you deal with people. Says you warn them, and after that, it says have nothing to do with them. So if there's somebody in your life that you don't want to have nothing to do with, come to Wednesday Night Bible study. I'll tell you how. It's great. Unless you're married to them. If there's a ring, sorry, I can't help you. You made your decision. Amen. Pastor John, would you lead us in a song? Thank you again for being here.